Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. Doctors Kim and Todd Saxton, welcome to It's TechTastic. It's lovely to have you here. Great to be here. How are you? I'm doing great. So the audience is largely composed of people jumping into their first enterprise and they're very excited about being entrepreneurs, uh, which is wonderful to have that energy and the excitement. But on the flip side, you're blind to the things that are the highest risk. And there are a lot of ways you can fail. I, what is it, like 90% of startups fail in their first year? And most of the reasons that they do are avoidable. So can you give the audience a list or an example of a thing to watch out for? We can give you a list of 32, in fact, <laughs> that are captured in the book, but um, that's not particularly helpful to your group. And I think let's speak to those, particularly the first time entrepreneur who is very early in their journey and there are just repeated mistakes that we started to see we do a lot with the venture community we have the opportunity to interact not just with students but with alums we're very actively involved in the venture community as angel investors as advisors and we just saw this kind of litany of, of similar mistakes being made particularly early on just because of a, a lack of knowledge and navigating that uncertainty uh, as a, a founder uh, that you have to engage in. Those tend to fall into different categories. Some are who you bring on as co-founders and how you allocate equity, for example, and how you seek out your first investors. On the product side, the technology founders often are enthralled with the technology per se and actually never go and figure out from the customers, like what problem are we trying to solve for you and, and how do you solve that today? Uh, so that's kind of what we call the technical ocean, the first one being co-founders, et cetera, the human ocean. And I will defer to my expert marketing colleague here who also happens to be my wife and partner, Kim, to talk a little bit about the other two. Okay, so the challenge in marketing, of course, is that everybody has a great idea and often they're thinking is, oh, I am the only one who's ever had this great idea. Oh, we are unique. There's nothing like this. Oh my gosh, it's so disruptive. It's unbelievable. So here's the problem with that. If nobody has ever done this before and it's super disruptive, that means that your customers have no idea what you're talking about. So instead of trying to be in a category of only one, you, a better choice is to be in a category that is well known, but then show how you're different. So let's take FedEx many years ago, right? People knew how the mail got there. So instead of trying to fight against that, they said, we are like the mail, except you get it in 24 hours. The 24 hour part was unheard of, right? Yeah. So, but everybody knew what mail was. So you didn't have to do anything to explain to people what you were. All you had to do is spend your time talking about why you're better. Now, this is interesting. I was brought into a lot of these big companies to help them be innovative. And I used to talk about it as being three different failure modalities. One of them was people. 
you had the wrong people with the wrong experience, the wrong knowledge, but that usually wasn't the one. Then there was the process piece. There was like something about what you're doing isn't allowing you to get to good answers. So you didn't bring customers in, you weren't running a really agile process. I hate even using agile, it's become overloaded in such a terrible way. But the, the one that it usually was, was what you were just talking about, which is either it's too disruptive and nobody understands it, and so you're chasing that or back to what you said earlier on the technology founder failure. Mm -hmm. I was enamored with the technology and I said, what could I do with the technology instead of saying, what's the problem I'm going to solve and how am I going to use technology for it? So it's great to know that I wasn't completely off base with that viewpoint. <laughs> no, in fact, the second biggest marketing problem is actually that piece of what am I going to do with it, which is that instead of thinking about, oh, I have this great piece of technology, what can I do with it? The important thing to think about is what problem do people have that they can't solve that they're willing to pay for, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the problem. There often are problems, and we like to categorize problems as they're oxygen, you need them to breathe, they're aspirin, you've got a headache, you'd really like it to go away, or they're jewelry, right? And what you really want are problems that people feel like is an oxygen problem because then they're highly motivated with little work from you to seek the solution and adopt the solution. But most of the time, people are just really lazy and the do nothing is the competition that every startup forgets about. And the easiest thing for us all to do is nothing. Just keep doing what we're already doing. You want to do something new, but we're actually satisfied or not so terribly dissatisfied that we are willing to go out and look for a new solution. So the key with the technology is figuring out how it can solve a problem that has people's hair on fire and they want to put it out. I've coached people to look for a problem where they think that they can make it better, but not just better, 10 times better. So if it costs $100 to do, make it cost $10 to do, that would be 10 times better. Or if it costs a month to do, do it in three days, that type of thing. But what you actually just described gives you a much better lens, but I'm curious how you identify it. It's really hard to know if it's life-threatening. Yeah, so one thing, check out Google keywords. What are people searching for? So for example, it turns out if you, this is a very silly example, but if you look in the middle of the summer, in the middle of the winter, people are doing a lot of searches in the West for oxygen. <laughs> because a lot of people- Literally have, oxygen. Literally oxygen. <laughs> We're not talking metaphorically. Because they are visiting Colorado or wherever, and they're up over 9,000 feet, and they're feeling altitude sickness. Mm. And sometimes they Google altitude sickness remedies, or you know, oxygen sources, or they're trying to sort out because they're feeling it. It's, it is both oxygen and also aspirin, right? Yeah. Because very few people are gonna die from altitude sickness, but they could be pretty miserable on a vacation. Well, I thought you were going to go in, especially since you said Colorado is like the fires and like all the smoke. It's like, oh, clearly there's a need for oxygen. But <laughs> I was working with a startup and, you know, they had X idea and we go and look at, you know, Google keyword analysis and nobody is searching for this. So then we're like, well, what are people searching for? Well, we found three different product categories that it could fit in. And all three of them only had a moderate level of search. So if you give me the combination, is that gonna be the magic? No, no, it isn't. Then what happens is you go and you talk to customers and customers are like, oh yeah, that's really interesting. Now's not really a good time. We haven't budgeted for it this year. That is the second clue that you do not have an oxygen problem or a hair on fire problem. 
So like doing good research, actually, like partially that's going to tell you what your competition is too, because if you went and did keyword analysis and then found that there's 500 providers of people advertising to it, right. great, probably not the best place to jump in. But if there's two and there's a lot of traffic, maybe it's a great place to jump in. I want to jump in real quick too, in terms of that hair on fire, you know, entrepreneurs, even if they do go and talk to people, especially in the Midwest, everybody's so nice to each other. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> your baby's so cute. You know, no one says, oh, my God, your baby. Really? Yeah. It's so ugly. Um, but you can take that next step of when you introduce a venture concept, instead of leaving it as, oh, so you like it. That's awesome. It's hey, I've written up a letter of intent that when I actually build this thing, you will sign a letter today. It's not legally binding, but just indicate. And if they think it's jewelry, they won't sign it. If their hair is on fire, they're going to go, yes, I need this. I am going to pay for it once you actually build it and I'm willing to sign. Again, it's not legally binding, but especially to investors and, and to the founding team, that step can be very, uh, reaffirming that someone is is actually willing to make a social commitment to use it as opposed to give you a pat on the back and say, yeah, that's nice. That's great advice. Even the VC community, they know that you're probably going to, even if this one fails, you're probably going to start something else, right? So they're not going to say your baby's ugly. They're going to say, oh, you have such a cute baby, but we're not in the market. Right, right, right. So you won't get the no and being able to identify when it's a no that sounds like a yes is really hard. Absolutely. And so that that's one of the interesting challenges, I think, of customer discovery yeah. is that you often have a relatively naive entrepreneur. And by the way, you I'm sure you've never encountered this, but especially tech entrepreneurs aren't always good listeners. What? <laughs> and then you have customers who may not actually understand at a deep level the problem that they really have. Like they think their hair's on fire where it's really they keep putting their head over the grill and it's like, okay stop doing that right but um so when you have two parties that neither one really understands the problem and are neither good communicators nor good listeners you just end up with a lot of noise so it doesn't matter whether you do 10 or 50 or 100 or a thousand customer discovery interviews in that circumstance it needs to be the right conversation with the right people and sometimes that might require you bringing in an ally someone uh, on your board or, or someone like yourself who is a little more dispassionate about the technology per se, um, but is used to listening, is used to hearing and then asking the right questions to get the customer to actually reveal the problem without even recognizing themselves what it is that they're they're facing. And the customer that you're talking to more than likely is already excited by you because they're using you. You're, they're helping them solve the problem. So they're going to tell you, you got a beautiful baby, right? But they'll tell you what sucks about it too. This is what doesn't work for me. The noise, the signal ratio there is really hard for somebody. And you can really screw your company future up by listening to the wrong information coming out of that. Yeah. So one of the worst examples that we do share in the book is somebody who spent all kinds of money building this prototype to be able to do games that use a steering wheel and put your phone in the middle of it. Right. And after he got it all done and two accelerators over a hundred thousand dollars spent, he discovered that like nobody really wanted to do that. And he could have just like mocked it up with cardboard and gone to the mall and, you know, <laughs> give it a whirl. They'd be like, 
No, this is stupid. <laughs> That's not great. It's terrible, because, but it's a good learning lesson for that individual and everybody else. The faster you can get to know, you, it's not that you want it to be no, you want it to be yes, but you want to look for every reason for it to be no and get there as fast as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. I know that the fail fast mantras, like everybody's, uh, they'll say it, but I don't think most people, especially in their first startup, really live it. They are enamored with their idea, like you were saying. Like they, they believe that they've got this great baby, it's beautiful, and they're getting that confirmation bias from everybody telling them, oh no, you've got a beautiful baby. So then they spend the time to build it, and it turns out it's just not there. Yeah. And if you've done it enough times, you kind of learn to scratch it a little bit and say, wait, is that really what they meant? Is, are they actually gonna do it? And so you come up with ways to cheat that. And we talk about that as fail fast, but I don't like that way of talking about it because it frightens the first time entrepreneur. They're like, I don't want to fail. No, it's, I've got it's really learned fast yes. right? yeah and it's interesting coming back to kind of the agile mentality and, and also some a term I'm, I'm sure a lot of your audience is familiar with of technical debt and those decisions you make early on that end up kind of saddling you or, or limiting your options down the road and the whole essence of where we started was our co-author who's a serial tech entrepreneur and following his work on technical debt and we were like you know it's not just what you build it's who you bring on the team again you know the other human aspects but then also how you actually position yourself to customers because we were seeing these entrepreneurs we call them now pinball entrepreneurs who are, who are just like pivoting every 30 days so you will be in a room with potential customers or potential investors and they start telling their story and giving their pitch and like wait a second i thought you were you know something you put in your gas tank and now you're a food additive <laughs> like that just, that just doesn't seem right so people being enthralled with a pivot and failing fast, but moving in a different direction, you kind of lose that sense that what you're doing is learning fast because it's hypothesis driven. You have an idea of what the market wants. If you are wrong, you have plan B uh, and you can move in a different direction, but it's strategic. It's not a random action. You said tech debt that's kind of center for me right now. I'm the CEO of a company called Vala AI Inc. And we are solving tech debt for large enterprise customers. And it's because of my own background in being an entrepreneur combined with all that experience at the big tech companies. It really comes down to historic decisions that seemed right then and turned out to be wrong later. Whether we changed our mind or the technology didn't live up to its, you know, all that. And how can we eliminate that problem for you so that you can pivot as you need or you can adapt and overcome whatever's in front of you? It, for me, this was an oxygen one because as a entrepreneur, you make mistakes early, right? We were gonna go do this thing, we we're gonna do it this way. Yep, that didn't work. And you don't really have the ability to throw it all away because you know I hate the sunk cost fallacy in this space, but you don't have a choice. You've already moved so far, you can't go all the way back to zero. You've got to move some forward and that represents the debt. But at the big companies, oh my goodness, it's one after another after another and they're happening thousands of times a quarter and it just becomes this impossible thing to manage. I was brought in as the CTO of this organization. They had 150 software engineers that in the previous six months had not delivered a single value-added service or feature to the customers. In the year before that, two. Mm -hmm. And I did the quick analysis. I went through my people, process, product thing and went, wait, let's just talk about what you're spending your time on. What are you doing? They walked me through what they were doing. I was like, oh my God, it's all tech debt and it's all the way down. And nobody will question it because back to your strategy point, they don't know, especially with technology, 
a lot of your strategy decisions are embedded in the technology. That is the tech debt that we talk about. And if the people that made that decision aren't still there, you probably don't even know what's happening. And now everybody's afraid to touch it because they say, I don't know what it does. And now it just, you know, accumulates more. Right. So in that context, you know, it came through the doctoral program in my early years of uh, research in the strategy arena was during the era of organizational learning, Peter Senge, all, all of that. And there was this predominant focus on organizations need to do a better job learning. And the parallel to that, though, is you also need unlearning. You need ways to disentangle, oh, yeah. disengage. And no one has really tackled that as a discipline and as kind of the yin yang of learning is you also have to be better at ending things, right? And, and doing that gracefully and getting rid of some of that debt that you've accumulated, et cetera. I, I'd love to see that enter more of the discussion. There's so much great advice from this one. I could bring you guys back on for 20 episodes and we'd still have more to talk about. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I'm gonna tell the audience you need to go get the Titanic Effect, the practical guide to help startup founders and their investors and supporters successfully navigate the icebergs that so often sink startups. It's available on amazon.com and I imagine other places you can buy books. Dr. Todd and Kim Saxton, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, this thank has you. been great. And that's a wrap for this episode of TechTastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious.